Hello and welcome to the Stacked Podcast, brought to you by Cognify, the recruitment partner for modern data teams, hosted by me, Harry Gollop. Stacked with incredible content from the most influential and successful data teams, interviewing industry experts who share their invaluable journeys, groundbreaking projects, and most importantly, their key learnings. So get ready to join us as we uncover the dynamic world of modern data. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stacked Data Podcast. This week, I'm joined by Simone Spinabelli. Simone is the Head of Analytics Engineering for the Phoenix Group. And the Phoenix Group are the UK's largest long-term savings and retirement business. Their vision is to help more people on their journey to retirement. Me and Simone dive deep into the power of data ops. Data operations is used to unlock speed, quality and collaboration at the Phoenix Group. He talks about how they use the power of automation to drive efficiency, to have an impact on an enterprise scale level. The conversation is enlightening for any organizations looking to roll out efficiency at scale. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Simone. Welcome to the Data Stacked podcast. It's great to have you on today. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you, Harry. Yeah, I'm doing great. I guess before we start, I just wanted to say I'm really enjoying the, uh, the podcast series so far. I listened to Leon, Leon Tang last week, which was really interesting around the um, kind of selling data services. I found them all interesting so far. So this could be the outlier. No, 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 no. I'm first off, you know, thank you for saying that we're, we're early in our journey, but it, it's so nice to hear such positive comments. You know, we're doing this podcast for the community and to share, share knowledge and projects, which people have, have delivered and, and help people and, and teams progress. So it's always great to hear that, that people are, are learning from it. And yeah, I'm very much in the mind that this is going to be another very interesting episode. We're talking all today about data ops, data operations, how you unlock speed, quality and, and collaboration with data ops and with you guys at the Phoenix Group. So I'm already excited. But first off, Simone, look, we've sort of touched on what we're going to talk about, but the audience would love to hear a bit more about yourself, your background and where you are within the Phoenix Group. Yeah, sure. So surname is hard to pronounce. Sorry. So I'm Simone uh, Spinalbelli and Head of Analytics Engineering for Phoenix Group. They're the kind of UK's largest long-term savings and retirement business. I, th- I think I was mentioning to you earlier, I also do the data engineering as well. So we're kind of hybrid data engineering, but officially analytics engineering. Yeah, I grew up in Italy, mostly kind of in a small village in Umbria. I don't know if you've ever been to Italy, but Umbria is quite a nice green, sort of <laughs> abandoned in time type place. But the family very around them is very nice, if you like, especially if you like red, red wine. I love wine. <laughs> <laughs> Good. But you, you can say I had humble beginnings in, in, in Italy. And then my family kind of moved over to the UK when I was 12. And we went to live in Lancashire in Blackburn. It's quite a culture shock, I can say, tell you right now. I bet. Not as nice weather either. No, not exactly. Not exactly. <laughs> so, so, you know, I had, to, I had to kind of learn the lingo, learn English. And, and yeah, high school was a bit confusing, I would say. But, what, what, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Sort of, sort of got through it. I'm currently in Scotland, my wife, Emma, and two kids, Leo and Sepp. And yeah, like kind of working in data is it's a lot simpler than getting your kids dressed for school in the morning, I can tell you that. What else? So yeah, I mean, I've always been into coding, always been into IT since, I was, since when I was little, really. I always absolutely loved it. I did a lot of coding at Huddersfield Uni. I was kind of 
kind of nocturnal, not because of parting, but because of coding. I was up pretty much every night. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> a bit, a bit, uh, and then started my career in 2004, I think, 2007, sorry. Started working for Sony Bio technical support through an outsourcer called uh, Sykes. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They were quite big, but I moved into management really quickly. So I was, I think by the time I was 26, I was managing the whole operation of sort of Sony Bio technical support, which had about 200 people. We were covering pretty much every European language. So it was quite a baptism of fire. And like I pretty much learned all about management, you know, then. And I was pretty very preoccupied on how to structure your teams to succeed because it's such a high pressure when you're trying to meet your service levels and things like that. Within an operation that size, I was constantly thinking about it. And that hasn't changed. I still think about how you structure yourself to succeed, you know, like all the time. And, I, you know, spoiler alert, we'll talk about that later with data ops a little bit. Yeah, I then moved to Vionet, which is very much a data company, looking at doing telemetry. Then I met a really good guy, a DBA, who very much introduced me to, to SQL. And it just love at first sight. And it's kind of, kind of took on from there, really. Moved to Centrica, British Gas. After that, that's where I kind of combined, you know, kind of managerial experience with my technical side. And, you know, we set up an old department there, customer ops analytics function, grew you know, massively inside. It was very successful. And I learned a lot there as well, so much that I then finally moved to data engineering after that, like properly doing data engineering at British Gas. And we were you know, we were working through an analytical data layer for the company, which was had a lot of siloed data across the organization. There, I kind of owned in on different ways of working with DevOps as well. There were some really good people in those teams that were already kind of embracing DevOps and that kind of way of working with data. And in a way, that was kind of the last piece of the puzzle for me, combining that, you know, being able to work under a lot of KPI and metric pressure with, you know, ever-changing organization. And now you set yourself up to do that. And then embracing the tooling like you know devops and things like that was kind of brought it all together so that's me brilliant well, that's a, a great summary and i think it's uh, a common theme this convergence uh, we've spoken about it before on the, the podcast but these convergence of skills as we're developing as an industry has become so important bringing in practices from other areas mm. into data to, to help us leverage a much uh, much more effective way and that's what we're obviously going to be talking about today, Simone. So how the Phoenix Group has leveraged and implemented data ops to unlock speed, quality, and collaboration within analytics, which is the project that you've led. But first off, can you define what data ops is for the audience? Yeah, I mean, the I've been thinking about this. I mean, there's loads of definitions for data ops, and everybody's got a, a really nice way to define it. And my view on it is that data ops is, is, a, is a better way of delivering analytics. So it's a set of processes and practices that are completely focused on the quality and speed of the end product and leverage technology, agile methodologies, and automation to deliver useful quality data products at pace. And I've got this tattooed on my back. No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> we'll, we'll get, we'd like to see a picture of that if it is there. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's a combination of, of three things, right? If you're going to, if you're going to look up data, you'll get a lot of this, but I'll try and explain it in a way that the way I'm implementing it and the way I've seen it work properly, just so it's useful for people. It's not just a Wikipedia page. So you've got your, you've got your three kind of main things, main elements of data ops. You've got your, 
agile methodologies. I think most people are familiar with agile. A lot of a lot of companies are structuring themselves to work in agile. A lot of them get it wrong, but even when you get it right, agile is is absolutely the best way forward for a lot of use cases. And within agile, you're kind of focusing on on people and interactions a lot over fixed processes. So a lot of the times, you know, a lot of places I work with in data, it's a bit like, oh, you know, you've got a request for data. Can you fill in this SharePoint horrible form, which which makes little sense to 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 make sense to absolutely no one, you know? You know, with Agile you you kind of prioritizing the communication and the interactions. You're working together on something. We don't, we don't need a form. You know, we can just talk through exactly what we need and kind of iterate through the process. And then obviously collaboration uh, with your end user instead of, you know, instead of negotiating up front, like a big kind of contract type thing. And you're experimenting. So, you know, you don't have all the answers to start with. And within data ops, you we tend to kind of experiment and and go through your iterations. Because a lot of the times, and I found this everywhere, when you're talking to your stakeholders or your customers or your end users, actually they don't know exactly what they want. And and a lot of people get frustrated with that. You know, you don't, you don't tell me what you want. How am I, am I going to build it? But actually your experimentation, iteration, and working in, in partnership, then it makes that process a lot easier, which is really good. And then the second kind of thing is obviously your, your DevOps. So, so there's a set of tooling that you need, which makes things a lot easier. And I've introduced this within the teams at Phoenix when I first arrived. Kind of, I, I took on an analytics team to start with. And I've introduced some of the DevOps tooling. So I've introduced kind of, I think it was GitLab at the time. We mostly use Azure DevOps at the moment. But but when you introduce DevOps tooling, it's all very confusing. People don't really understand what the hell is going on. If you've never used it before, it's quite a learning curve. And on your average data team, you know, there's a lot of, hopefully a lot of SQL and a lot of Excel, a lot of like things like, you know, access databases and things like that. And a lot of data teams have never really used something like a DevOps, you know, software engineering type tool. So, so it's quite a learning curve, but it's really necessary. So that enables you to start thinking about things like continuous integration, continuous deployment, which generally are quite alien to people. You start to introduce version control. You start to introduce a release management you start to say, well, actually, we're going to merge our code together, you know, periodically. We're going to test it. We're going to have a testing, like, a workflow. And then we're going to try and automate that, that testing workflow. It's going to make things a lot easier. People don't really see that until you've actually implemented it. It's quite a journey that you have to go through with your teams. And then the last bit is, is how you treat your data pipelines, your data flows, in a way. So how do I explain this? You've got to put control gates at every stage of your pipelines. And you've got to do it as you develop them. So you can have a process in place where you know your developers know that at every stage of a pipeline there's got to be a set of tests which get executed and the results you know come out and you can see if any of your pipelines are failing and it's not about you know it's not about the typical testing you do on data kind of structure and formats that that goes without say i think what you're trying to test here is for silent failures you're trying to say okay well, well what business logic can i test on top of this flow you know, how many records am I expecting here? What is the expectation and how do I measure it? And how do I make it flexible enough that if it varies by a few, like, you know, by a small amount, then it doesn't break the pipeline. So you use things like statistical control, sort of like control charts to do that. You can say if a certain outcome is within the control, then it's okay. 
but you're you're avoiding the silent failures where you know all your kind of data structure and and sort of the, the more like techy stuff passes but then when somebody looks at your out your output it doesn't make any sense it doesn't it's not what they were expecting so so you integrate all of that into your process and i guess that's kind of the foundations of data ops Brilliant, brilliant. So for me, the two takeaways there is it's sort of the combination of process. I, I love what you said about continuing to go back and reiterate. It's the, almost that sort of trial and error style uh, approach, which allows you to build up a bit more of relationship with your stakeholder as well, really understand the context and problem solve together, which I think naturally always inclined, uh, builds nicely into to you having a better context and being able to gain their trust and build something which they're going to use more as as well because they've worked with you on it rather than you just giving them something after they've sort of outlined a brief overview at the beginning. So that uh, ties in nicely then with what you mentioned about the tooling and then practices around, I suppose, creating a framework and standardization, which can almost be sort of carbon copied. Yeah. They were sort of my, my two takeaways and a very good definition for data ops in a practical setting. So what is the value of implementing data ops? How does it actually benefit the data team and most importantly, the wider business? Mm, yeah, that, that, that's a good question. So so I guess when you implement kind of data ops, I guess as a unified kind of ecosystem, you know, you have kind of teams, tools, and technology kind of together. The biggest win straight away is the collaboration. You foster in collaboration across your data, I guess, personas. So your engineers, analysts, you know, data scientists working together and knowledge sharing. Everything is going through this process, and it breaks down the barriers of, you know, kind of individual expertise and kind of individualistic tendencies. You kind of force to collaborate because otherwise, nothing gets done. So there's other collaboration or there's nothing. So. It's very transformative, you know, it really works for that. Because kind of in your average, kind of your typical data team, you would get, you know, you would get people who do everything. So you get these heroes, I call them, because they do all of the work. They're, they're brilliant, but a lot of it is not documented and or, or it's in their heads type thing. And then you get, and then you get people who, and I, and I found this so many times, you get people who are completely left out because you've got a few who are so brilliant and contributing mostly, they have the trust of the people who are asking for things. And then you get a few who really don't have that and they're not bringing as much value. In fact, I think I read somewhere, and I probably agree with this, that 10% of your data team does 90% of the work. I don't know if you've heard this one before. I think it's called the Pareto, uh, Pareto Principle, but it's it's actually true. If you go and measure it, you'll find that the, the select few are doing 90% of your work. And then there's a mad rush, you know, to meet your deadlines, which means that quality often gets forgotten about. Then you get the fact that things are not really cohesive because kind of reporting and analysis is done is done in isolation. So it's kind of sometimes it's even contradictory. You get one report for one person and one piece of analysis for another person and they say different things, you know, because they've been done completely in isolation. And, you know, and you, can, you hope that there's no issues, but you've got, you know, a little control over it. If you've not put the right controls in place, it's really hard to control, you know, your selling failures, as I mentioned earlier. And you kind of get annoyed with your stakeholders because, you know, requirements are not being precise and kind of the, you get upset because you, you kind of goalposts have moved and, well, you had a plan to start with and now it's ruined. 
you know, documentation is always a problem. You try and document, but it becomes out of date. Kind of actually do more work within the team. You, the maintenance of the work you've done increases exponentially, and so, so you end up getting swamped, and you know, and you struggle to deliver new things. And actually, the only way forward is to grow, grow the team in size. So it's all sort of stuff that you can avoid with data ops, and I'll, and I'll go to that in a second. But you know, it's about being trying to be proactive and sort of sort of reactive, which DataOps allows you to to do. But I could go on forever, by the way, with a list of things that, that you can tackle with DataOps. I'll I'll stop now, but there's a, <laughs> there's a couple of there's a couple of challenges. Yeah, I mean I guess classic challenges that, that you also have as a team. So you've got your obviously data in at, at Phoenix we've obviously if you acquire businesses, they have their own IT systems. You've got legacy systems. You've got you know sort of random databases scattered around Excel sheets. You know things like that. You name it. You know most data teams have this problem. And then the, the kind of data formats of all this data is not really optimized for analytics. Anyway, it's generally operational operational data. It's optimized for operational system. And then you've got like data errors that, that you're aware of, and you've got the ones that you're not aware of that are kind of out there. And then you've got kind of the mistrust in analytics because. You know, if you've got a bunch of issues, as I mentioned above, then people stop trusting the analytics and, and reporting that you produce as an analytics team. And so, so it's important to nail those. And yeah, and ultimately you get a very tired data team who has to deal with a lot of stuff manually, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, once that trust is lost, it's so hard to get back. And, you know, Leon said last week, your data team should be a steerer, should be proactive, not reactive. So it's been a common theme on the podcast. And I think it's a a common theme that we should continue to shout about within the industry. It's not just always the responsibility of the data team. You need to get that buy-in from the the wider business to to understand that. But I think it's Mm. the job of the data team to be the educators. Absolutely. So... You've already mentioned somebody that sort of data ops is is a combination of implementing this new technology and and process to create this operation. It can be hard to gain buy-in from the business when implementing and making change. So was this an issue that that you guys come across and and how did you address it? Yeah, I mean, before I get to that, I guess I'll kind of go through quickly what we actually implemented with data ops. I think I mentioned kind of, you know, the fostering of collaboration, you know, you tend to kind of, you know, break down work stack into development chunks, you know, allocate work to the right people. So immediately you get everybody contributing towards the same objective when you're working, you know, as part of a sprint, you know, using you know something like a Kanban, for example. You're kind of limiting the upfront design work, you know, focus on what you can deliver straight away. You, you know, you kind of stakeholders get kind of get a starting point almost immediately you've given them something and then you're iterating through the process getting the feedback and, and kind of working from there yeah and you're using things obviously i mentioned devops using devops tooling to manage your code base yeah you know you can release new work and you automate automate the testing as much as you can and automate your release process and deployment as much as you can all, all of this stuff goes towards what i've talked about earlier just you know, just kind of simplifying the amount of maintenance work that data teams have to do to try and automate everything as much as possible. You know, you do a piece of work, you automate the hell out of it, and you put really solid controls in place to make sure that it's robust going forward. And then you can move on without having too much of a baggage, in a way. I guess that's kind of one of the key points. So I guess, 
one, one more thing before I move on to your question. Sorry, I think. No, it's fine. I, to, to be honest, I think there's a better way of, of, of wording it. Anyway, we should talk about, you know, what you have implemented at, at the Phoenix Group first, and then we can go on to maybe some of them, them challenges. So, yeah, continue telling us about what you've implemented and, and, and how you've gone about doing that. Good, good. No, that's fine. I'll, I'll do that. Yeah, so as I was mentioning, kind of, you're building in quality control as you go. You know, each new data flow kind of comes in with its own kind of standard data checks in a way and you're checking for business rules as well and you're using your statistical analysis and you know you're making sure things are within tolerance and and that's a really good process to put in place at the start because it's not like something that you you can do it after but but in reality you want to get your team to to start thinking that way and actually building that in as they go because then it becomes a lot easier and i guess the last thing i wanted to mention was one of the key kind of points of in data ops that makes things a lot easier is to try and talk the same language across your various data sets. And that's a problem that, that a lot of teams have and a lot of companies have is that, you know, and in fact, I think Sammy mentioned in the podcast a few weeks ago that you've got to build some semantic layer in between. And we absolutely agree with that. And we're also doing that within, within Phoenix through an enterprise data model, which is really important. And that helps us create this, you know, integrate integration across all the different siloed data sets that we have, which is quite a few, and bring all that together and make sure that we're talking the same language. You know, that from that point, your data ops process becomes a lot simpler. You're having to deal with a lot less complexity. So, so definitely a recommendation that, you know, that you think about that. Yeah, we're kind of building kind of the enterprise data model. And then on top of that, you've got, you've got kind of physical conformed model, which actually exists. And then you've got on top of that, you've got things like analytical data models and presentation data models. So it always all kind of flows. It all kind of flows that way, you know, from left to right. It just as analytics, it makes your job so much easier if you have that. It takes a bit to build. It takes a bit to think about, but then, but then it really simplifies things. It's uh, that, that that semantic sort of model or layer is so so important in, in making your life easier in the long run as well. It's just talking with stakeholders, with other teams, especially if you know, you're building a, a data mesh or a, a hub and spoke style model there, a single source of definition, then it's very easy to get things confused and, and that mess mm. to start building up as well. So talk to us a bit more about how you, you went around implementing some of these, these changes, Simone, because I think some people have the, they have the ideas and they they know or they've they've heard about you know the the benefits but how do you actually mm. go about successfully implementing something like this yeah i mean there's a lot to think about so i guess you know buy-in from the business is is, is key you're making a big change here you know not everybody's ready for it we're quite lucky we've got you know a brilliant chief data and analytics officer diane uh barry she's kind of like next level clever but she's helping <laughs> us you know she's helping us drive the the data strategy and and i think we've been lucky um, in a sense that there's plenty of thirst for using cloud technology and technology in general and you know revamping our ways of working so there's quite a lot of there was quite a lot of appetite for that so we went in with a good kind of north star plan and how to get there and you know phoenix group are kind of centered around our customers and our goal, and this is straight from the website, our goal is to help people secure a life of possibilities. So being able to leverage kind of data and analytics to help do this well, and to be able to assure quality and kind of speed of delivery is a desired desired outcome. So 
So being able to respond quickly to emerging customer needs is kind of a key requirement. So we didn't get much pushback, as I'm trying to say, in that that we're offering a solution that, you know, that speeds things up and makes things, you know, higher in quality. So hopefully, you know, people are on board with that if you can articulate it properly. And then I guess in terms of implementation, we've built up a really talented data and analytics department. You know, we brought together the best and the brightest from internally and externally. So, so that's a really good start to implement data ops. You must have the right skill set. And if you don't, you've got to really think about your training and development plan for your team. As I mentioned earlier, when I first started talking about this, nobody really knew about, you know, code control, code versioning, release cycles within a data team. It was all very new. You've got to put in the time to kind of lead by example and show how it works, but also to put the right training and development in place is really important. And if you can bring a few people in who actually already work in that way, then it kind of brings it all to life for people. So I I, I brought somebody in, for example, who I worked with previously, who, was, who already kind of knew everything. So it was a lot easier to show the process. On that, before you move on, what are the, just a summary of some of them key skill sets to implement data ops? Yeah, I think obviously your actual data skills, you know, you're grounding around you know, I guess what most team, hopefully most people already have, it's, you know, working with data and SQL and that kind of thing. That goes without say. I think what you're looking, what you're looking for is being able to work as part of a development team. So, so many people work in isolation. It's key that you're able to break down tasks into its constituents and work on them, but also in collaboration with somebody else. You're sharing code, essentially you're working together. It's not, you know, once you do it, it's fine. But if you've never done it before, it's it's not that simple. And then you have things like, you know, oh, it helps if they've got knowledge of, you know, of data work, you know, sort of modern tooling. But I always look for, you know, good grounding in development, things like Python, for example. If you can code in Python, you can demonstrate Python, then you can pick up other languages as well. But essentially, data skills, kind of coding skills, and kind of working as part of a development team type skills, a bit like DevOps. Those three things, you know, make sure that you kind of slot straight in into a data ops team. You know, it makes it a lot simpler. Yeah. Yeah. I, I loved what you said also about the continuous continuous learning and, and training. Um, one of our other guests, uh, the episode will probably be released actually by the time this one goes live, but it speaks all about data modeling and how the training in which he would put by, put sort of four or five hours a week to train his team. And if, if he can increase each one of his team by 10, 15%, then the impact that's going to have is is profound in the long run. And it's all about continuous training, not here's a workshop, do it, and now you're trained. So yeah, I think as a leader, you need to to really rigorously think about your training mm-hmm. programs and, and upskilling yeah. your team. And definitely. So so I will say, you know, having the right people in the right places, it's, it's a really good start. And then you know, and then obviously you have to have the right tooling. So, so we are making full use of the Azure data stack. You know, we and, and DataBricks as well. So we've we've not gone out as much in terms of bringing a lot of tools in, kind of modern workstack type. But we've, I guess, it's my fault. We we are more of a build, not buy type of person. So we actually within our team we've tried to build everything, a lot of the componentry within the, the data stack ourselves. So we've, you know, a lot of the flow of data and how that gets orchestrated across the platform it's all been done it's more of a software engineering flow so we've built our own componentry for that in python and things like that 
just because I like the control. I like the control over exactly what we're doing and how we're doing it, rather than bring a tool in. <laughs> so, so I'm not very, I'm not very um, popular with, with people selling. It's an interesting debate. Maybe one for for, for another time about build yeah. versus <laughs> build, build versus buy. But I think at the end of the day, it's what's right for, for you and your organisation. And and then in terms of kind of the actual implementation of data, so I think the key things as I mentioned, logic and quality gates and data flows at every stage, you know, complete control over what happens within the platform. You've got your version controlling, release management, CICD. Yeah, make sure you use all your environments. So technically, typically, data teams only use don't really use environments; they just use production generally. But even though we are analytics engineering, we're still using kind of the full set. We've got kind of dev test, pre prod, and prod, and we like to bring things across each environment and test them properly at every stage. And we try to do that automatically. We don't want to spend a lot of time doing that manually. So that's a work in progress, but we're still really kind of getting there. And then focus on kind of reusable code and functions and patterns. So every time we build something, we build it in a way that it's reusable 100%. And so you start to get these patterns kind of developed and, you know, people can just reuse it, which is quite useful. So everything is kind of, everything is part of, you know, everything should kind of work as part of the whole, I like to say. And there's no kind of individual bits that work in separation. You're kind of building a thing, you know, building a like a living thing almost. So everything should, every cog should work, you know, in partnership. Yeah, and yeah definitely. No, that that makes sense, and I think you know the the ability to reuse then just increases your velocity in which you can work. Right, why build something again from scratch when you've already been on that journey? So it's obviously been a, a successful journey so far, but. I'm sure, like any data project, Simone, you've come across some big challenges on that journey. Could you, you tell the, the audience about some of the challenges that you've faced and how you've overcome them so far? Yeah, I mean, I've got a few challenges, but <laughs> I think when you try and build something, when you try and do something like this, so you're looking at process you know, and technology and everything together, you know, we were essentially building a system, a data system, which is intended to be agile and support, you know, experimentation and speed of delivery. But you, when you try and do that, you, and, and this is more true with sort of certain organizations, but you, you know, kind of more risk adverse ones, but you immediately hit a number of brick walls. So you've in the form of kind of data protection, infosec, cloud security, you know, change control, risk management, architecture review, all of this stuff comes together to work with you. And suddenly, you started off the project by trying to build, you know, a Formula One car because you want to win the race. And what you end up with is, oh, you know, here's a tank, very safe, you can't crash it, you know, very secure, but, you know, good luck kind of trying to win the race. So <laughs> so that's the, that, that, I think that is the biggest challenge that you get when you're trying to do something like this. And I guess to overcome it, it's all about, and I think, and this worked quite well, it's all about leveraging the expertise you've got within the various departments. And, you know, what, what I said to people was, you know, anybody can say no, you know, you, you know, you're saying that's not secure and that's not right. And, and anybody's good enough to say, oh, yeah, no, you can't do that. What what I need you to do is instead is, you know, use your skill and expertise to tell me how to, to do it. So so our goals become combined. We're trying to get there. And we're quite, we've been quite lucky that we've got an amazing team at Phoenix who are incredibly professional and really know what they're talking about. And so we were able to work through these and and come up and found a way basically come up to a way to deliver something which is exactly pretty much what I wanted. Maybe not from a one car, but it's definitely a race car. But it's <laughs> got but it's got all the controls and, and security and governance that you would expect 
from a company enterprise like our, you know, our size. Brilliant. So, so yeah, so I would say, yeah, you know, work it through with, with everybody, you know, it's possible. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, um, there's some that's, that, that Sandeep mentioned in isn't it? his episode. It's so important to, to have that alignment and make sure everyone's on the same page. I love the analogy of a tank versus a, a, an F1 car. <laughs> so if someone was going to start this project that they've listened to, to you speak, Simone, and they're, or they're on this journey, it's always nice to have a hindsight perspective. So if you was to start this again, you know, what would you do differently and what would you recommend to someone else to, if they were starting from scratch? Mm. Well, you know, that's a really tricky question because technology changes so fast and you know <laughs> that, that if you if i was to start again now i'll probably do it a totally different way but you know i guess in hindsight though i guess one of the one of the things is so we started off in a way you know like i said kind of reshaping our our teams into a data ops type approach but, but also building our you know data strategy and data platform when we started off very much with a proof of concept at first and the proof of concept kind of actually ended up being so good that you know the decision was oh let's take that and turn it into our enterprise analytics platform if i had known that at the start i would have i would have maybe designed it slightly differently i would have said you know you, you know a couple of definitely a few things would have been different so so i guess the takeaway is you know if you build something like this they will come so make sure it's scalable make sure you can you know you can expand it quickly if you need to i will say that brilliant that's uh, a nice, no, sorry, and obviously I know every environment is, is different and, and, and as you allude mm. to, this industry moves in incredibly quickly. So it's great to hear about what you've implemented, why you've implemented, but um, at the end of the day, also, Simone, it's about what are the results? How have you been able to measure the impact and, and the output of the work by your mm. data team? What metrics did you use? Mm. And yeah, if you could share with the the audience, I suppose the the success of this project would be great. Yeah, I mean it's been pretty phenomenal. I mean, so we've we've implemented a number of agile analytics teams. You know, um, I guess we call them squads, but some of them are not properly on DevOps yet, kind of work in progress, and some others are very much there. So it's you know it's still a bit of a work in progress, but. I am sometimes shocked by the amount of work that is churned out and the feedback, you know, we get from the stakeholders is absolutely phenomenal. So the problem we have now, and I, and I guess I was mentioning this to you before we started this, is, is the fact that the cat is out of the bag and very much we're now involved in every single little project that, that comes up in the company, you know, we get called to, to help with because, you know, just because we've been so successful. So I think... We've got no shortage of backlog, so really now we have to put, have to put my, my, you know, my money where my mouth is and actually say, yeah, you know, DevOps ways of working and going to help, are going to help us, you know, churn through this, you know, uh, without going crazy and hiring a million people. So that that's the real test in terms of metrics. I mean, metrics are always, you know, kind of tough to nail down for for data engineering. There's a few things. So everything I talked about, you know, quality and and logic gates and sort of data flow gate. We're converting that at the moment into an overarching set of metrics because at the moment all that information kind of gets used but it doesn't really report it on. So I'm trying to do that next. And we've already implemented kind of more typical reporting that you will get in an agile team to look at efficiency of the sprints and things like that. 
but I guess for me, ultimately, the only real measure that I want is from our stakeholders and how much value we are bringing. And, you know, are we kind of an enabling force or a bottleneck? That's To me, that is the real question that I try and get across. So hopefully at the moment, we're enabling force. We'll see how, we'll see how we get on. Yeah, well, it sounds like you are. And yeah, it sounds like a lot of planning went into to implementing a project and a team like this. And as we highlighted at the beginning, it was about that that trial and error, that continuous learning and continuous improvement, which has enabled you to, to get here. And I, I think you've really highlighted some great points, which hopefully can enable others to, to go on a similar journey and, and unlock the, the efficiency and the, the velocity in which you guys uh, have unlocked and, and hopefully will continue to unlock at the, the Phoenix group. So that brings us nicely, I suppose, to to the end of, of our topic around around data operations. But as a listener to the pod, you'll know that it brings us on to the, the final section, the quick fire round where we sure. ask every one of our guests. I sent you some questions which hopefully help people progress in their careers. So thank you, first off, for talking us through your data ops project at, at the Phoenix Group, Simone. You're very welcome. I hope it's useful to someone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it will. And that brings us on to the first question. So how do you assess a job opportunity, Simone, and, and how do you know it's the right move for, for you? Oh, okay. Well, I, I guess the first thing is, am I excited about it when I first hear about it? That, that's my immediate control. If I'm excited, then, then great. Then the next thing is, you know, I, I kind of ask myself, can I bring any value to the role? So I, I don't really consider a position if I'm not going to be able to bring something to the table, essentially. And it has happened in the past. Like, I've, you know, I've got a new job and I thought, God, you know, like, you should have promoted somebody internally. There's a bunch of people here that can do this job, you know, upside down and backwards and better than me. So so why am I here, you know? And so making sure that I'm able to bring value is key for me. So excited about the job, the role and also I can bring value. That's the two things. Brilliant. Yeah, I think it's so, so important. You know, you're brought in to, to do something and, and can you add value and bring external knowledge? I think that's always what, what people are looking for in a hire. So best advice for people in an interview? This can be either as an interviewer or an, an interviewee. Yeah, I, I guess in terms of advice, I mean, this is just the way I guess I do interviews or, or at least what I like to see in an interview when, I interview, I mean, when I'm interviewing someone. It is to make sure that you, re, you are realistic, down to earth. You avoid kind of all the buzzwords and, and actually tell me exactly what the story is and, and what you've done and how you've done it. You know, words and all, and then explain how you've succeeded. I think I always come across people who, you know, who have these extraordinary stories that are clearly not, when you go and dig into it, it's clearly not quite right. So just, you know, be realistic down to earth and and tell the story as it is. A hundred percent. Avoid the just talking about the hype. Let's get yeah. down to the yes. crux of what you've been what what you've delivered. Final question then, Simone. If you could recommend one resource to the audience to to help them upskill, what would that be? Uh you know, I I'm a, I'm, a, I'm old school. I think you get a mentor. If you could, if you can get a mentor in the workplace that is incredibly helpful and that's helped definitely helped me multiple times in my career is of somebody who can be your mentor and just gonna help you achieve your goals you know going at it by yourself sometimes is way more difficult other than that i think there's an infinite amount of resources online you know out there for that technically to learn things so you know you have your pick really 
but for like me, that. yeah, I mean, for me, learning, you know, sort of at home, I tend to just be very hands-on. So I tend to kind of spin up a project, make a website, you know, do, do something which is going to involve me learning the skills I need to do it. And that is the only way I can remember things. If I just go through a, you know, kind of a classroom type or, you know, some tutorial online, I, I forget. You know, after a yeah. day, so <laughs> yeah, no, learn by doing, and and mm. I think the mentor is a great piece of of advice. Um, you learn so much more by someone that's been through them challenges and can give you a, a, a different. It's in perspective. I think that's the uh, and and really help you to to hone in on where you need to to upskill or need to pay some extra extra attention. We set up the, the stack pathways at Cognify, which is our, our female specific mentoring program. But after the the uptake and the response we've had from our first cohort, we will continue to be advocates for for women in tech and, and women exceeding in leadership. But we're definitely keen to open up a, a mentoring for the wider community as well. Because as you said, I think it's a very poignant and uh, very critical way of, of upskilling. So yeah, couldn't agree more. Definitely. Well, Simone, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and yeah, excited to to share it with the community. Thank you ever so much for your time. No, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Brilliant. brilliant. Well, look, have a lovely day, Simone, and we'll uh, hopefully see you again soon. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. I really hope you've learned something. I know I have. The Stack Podcast aims to share real journeys and lessons that empower you and the entire community. Together, we aim to unlock new perspectives and overcome challenges in the ever-evolving landscape of modern data. Today's episode was brought to you by Cognify, the recruitment partner for modern data teams. If you've enjoyed today's episode, hit that follow button to stay updated with our latest releases. More importantly, if you believe this episode could benefit someone you know, please share it with them. We're always on the lookout for new guests who have inspiring stories and valuable lessons to share with our community. If you or someone you know fits that bill, please don't hesitate to reach out. I've been Harry Gollop from Cognify, your host and guide on this data-driven journey. Until next time, over and out. Over and out.